1: The Five Eyes warn against top-exploited vulnerabilities. The Rylide Info Stealer in the Wild. Malicious PiPi Packages. Valerie Abend, Global Cyber Strategy Lead from Accenture, unpacks the Securities and Exchange Commission's recently announced cyber regulations. In our Solution Spotlight, our own Simone Petrella speaks with Microsoft's Ann Johnson on how Microsoft is attracting and retaining top cyber talent. And cyber attacks continue to gutter on both sides of Russia's war against Ukraine. I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire Intel briefing for Friday, August 4th, 2023. Yesterday, intelligence services from the Five Eyes Alliance came together to issue a comprehensive cybersecurity advisory, 2022 Top Routinely Exploited Vulnerabilities. It's aimed at highlighting the most critical vulnerabilities that had been consistently targeted and exploited by cyber attackers throughout the year. We highlight just a few here. At the top of the list was the Fortinet SSL VPN vulnerability, This vulnerability had been a persistent target since 2020, underscoring the tendency of some organizations to lag behind in applying necessary patches and updates. Proxy shell vulnerabilities in Microsoft Exchange email servers ranked high on the hacker's leaderboard. These vulnerabilities, when exploited together, allowed remote code execution, making them an attractive target for cybercriminals. Another noteworthy entry was the Zoho Manage Engine Add Self-Service Plus vulnerability, enabling unauthenticated remote code execution. The advisory highlighted its connection to an outdated third-party dependency, emphasizing the importance of up-to-date software practices. The widely used Atlassian Confluence Server and Data Center also made the list due to its susceptibility to unauthenticated arbitrary code execution. Governments and private companies relying on this web-based collaboration tool became potential targets. One of the most infamous entries was the log 4 shell vulnerability, which impacted Apache's log 4 j library used in numerous products worldwide. The ability to execute arbitrary code and gain full system control made this vulnerability particularly enticing to malicious actors. As the list demonstrates how several of these vulnerabilities continue to be exploited despite patches being available, the CSA emphasizes the critical importance of promptly applying updates per vendor instructions to bolster cybersecurity defenses and protect organizations from potential threats. It's worth noting how many of the vulnerabilities continued to be exploited after patches were available. It suggests the effect that slow patching can have on an organization— as CISA so often says, apply updates per vendor instructions, and, we might add, sooner rather than later. Trustwave's Spider Labs describes a new version of the Rylide Steeler extension that's targeting Chromium-based browsers. The researchers note that the malware uses a creative way to work around the Chrome extension manifest version 3 from Google, which is aimed at blocking the installation of malicious extensions for Chromium browsers. Compared to earlier versions of Rylide, this variant exhibits a higher level of sophistication through modular design, code obfuscation, adaptation to the Chrome extension manifest, and additional features such as the ability to exfiltrate stolen data to a telegram channel or interval-based screenshot captures. GuidePoint Security outlines how the legitimate tool CloudFlare Tunnel, also known as CloudFlared, is being abused by threat actors. Guidepoint writes Cloudflared allows a TA to configure an environment in advance of an attack, then execute a single command from a victim machine to establish a foothold and conduct further operations. Since the Cloudflared execution only requires the token associated with the tunnel they've created, the TA can initiate these commands without exposing any of their configurations on the victim machine prior to a successful tunnel connection. Once the tunnel is established, CloudFlared obtains the configuration and keeps it in the running process. Researchers at Reversing Labs discovered 24 malicious packages in the Python Package Index open-source repository, PyPy. The campaign began in late July, and the attackers keep posting new malicious packages daily as the older ones are removed. Reversing Labs states... In contrast to other recent supply chain campaigns, such as Operation Brain Leaches, the malicious packages that make up this campaign display evidence of a concerted effort to deceive developers. They achieve this by implementing the entire functionality of the modules they are imitating and standing up corresponding and linked GitHub projects that omit the malicious functionality found in the PyPy release package. And finally, a quick note on Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine. Cyber action has recently been characterized by Russian cyber espionage. That action, which used Microsoft Teams in phishing campaigns, is the most prominent of recent cyber operations, but there have been others. The Times of London describes ongoing disruption of Russian online services by Ukrainian hacktivist auxiliaries. This has been, as wartime hacktivism has tended to be, nuisance-level activity. For now, at least at the tactical level, both sides have been paying more attention to traditional electronic warfare, especially to jamming and target location. Coming up after the break, Valerie Abend, Global Cyber Strategy Lead from Accenture, unpacks the Security and Exchange Commission's recently announced cyber regulations. In our solution spotlight, our own Simone Petrella speaks with Microsoft's Ann Johnson about how Microsoft is attracting and retaining top cyber talent. Stay with us. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission recently grabbed headlines with new cybersecurity requirements for public companies, In particular, a requirement that cyber incidents be reported within four days of determination of material impact has drawn a lot of attention. Valerie Abend is Global Cyber Strategy Lead at Accenture, and I reached out to her for insights on the SEC's regulations, starting with the four-day requirement.
2: It's not about four days of having an incident. Uh-huh. The requirement is that you have a reasonably practical time frame for determining whether or not an incident is material or not. And you have a pretty good process then to do that, which we should dig into. Mm. But it's really once you determine that something is material, you have four days to report it.
1: And has the SEC indicated that, that they'll be having scrutiny over this? So after an event to to go in and say, was the pathway towards the determination that this is material, was that reasonable and timely?
2: So you've hit it spot on, Dave. This is the thing. When you have an incident, that's when all these things become challenging, Hmm. right? The final rule for a regulator is not gonna give you the example of what best practice looks like. It's not gonna tell you exactly how your process should go. The problem will come when you have an incident and maybe you didn't think it was material and they come in and they realize it was material and the reporting didn't happen and you didn't have a really good process. And the SEC says, show me all the documentation. Show me how you made that decision. Show me who was involved. How did you practice that so that you had a good process that you evolved over time based on the risk of your company and the threats it's facing? And that will be the challenge is, you know, a lot of folks who don't go through that process before they have an incident will be caught flat-footed.
1: I know a, another concern that's been voiced is this notion that organizations may have to reveal too much information, that in the process, in, in the timeliness of, of revealing that the uh, incident has occurred, that that could be an opportunity for other attackers to take advantage of that intelligence.
2: So the SEC made some pretty significant changes between the proposed rule and what they ultimately voted out to be the final regulation. Mm. And one of the things that they changed, which I think was really, you know, smart, was how much information, how much detail in this public filing you have to include about what was attacked, are you still vulnerable so that you don't provide a roadmap, right, to the bad guys about what they should continue to attack you on or uh, even attack others on. So they did narrow what you have to disclose in the face of an incident. And I think that was really smart. And they got a lot of comment from, you know, public companies and, you know, from the the industry about, about that exact thing. How do we do the right thing to provide shareholder transparency, but how do we also manage the risk of further exposure to that company or any other companies.
1: So what are your recommendations then for folks who, who are in leadership positions in a public company, a CISO, maybe a board member, uh, with these new rules, uh, what sort of things should they be concerned with? So
2: I think there are, are a few challenges. And the first thing I would always say on this one is because they did soften, you know, various provisions between what they had originally proposed versus what they voted voted as final, first thing I say is, I think a lot of folks are going to sort of let their foot off the gas, and I don't think that's a great plan. As we talked about earlier, when you have an incident, that's when you're going to get caught with like, oh, we didn't really have a well-defined process and we thought we did. And that's not just on the incident materiality part. That's also on the sort of two other big areas of the, of the regulation, one of which is just your ongoing day-to-day cyber risk management processes. So in the rule, you have to disclose every year about how you're managing cyber risk. That's really smart. It doesn't require too much detail. But, you know, if you have an incident and in that you don't really have all your details really worked out and the SEC comes to do an investigation, that's where you're going to have a challenge. And so having a very strong cyber risk management framework with policies and procedures and clear ability to actually Quantifiably describe what are your higher risks in the context of your specific business and how you're not just maturing your information security function, but actually holding all members of the C-suite accountable for their specific role in managing cyber risk. To me, that's going to be, you know, I think a big area that a lot of companies need to focus on. And if I were a CISO, I would partner with my CEO to see how we can do that, particularly working with this management committee that's described in the rule. So they're, in the rule, they actually tell the board that their job is to oversee this cyber risk management committee or an executive risk management committee that's handling cyber. And so I, if I were a see so, I would partner with the CEO and with the board to really strengthen that management committee, all the members of that committee, make sure it's clear what their responsibilities are, and had very well documented and practiced.
1: You know, in terms of broader trends of, of what this indicates uh, in terms of like a, a trajectory that the SEC is indicating here, any thoughts on on where we're heading with um, cybersecurity and, and public companies?
2: I think that what we're seeing is an increasingly complex regulatory landscape. As a matter of fact, Uh, the White House just released a request for information around regulatory harmonization and with an eye not just in what's happening in the United States, but internationally as well. And we have very different approaches in the United States versus Europe, versus Asia Pacific and, and other parts of the world in how we regulate generally, but specifically in cybersecurity. And that is a challenge. I, I think that's what that's the reality. I don't see it changing. And so as we look at not just the SEC, but what other regulators are doing. So for example, CISA has, you know, a requirement for critical infrastructure to report. CISA also is able to share that information with other agencies. Are they going to give a heads up to the SEC even before you do if you're experiencing an incident and have already reported that to CISA? So I think there are various issues around regulatory complexity that a lot of publicly held companies need to consider going forward.
1: Valerie Abend is Global Cyber Strategy Lead at Accenture. You can hear an extended version of this conversation on the Caveat Podcast. Do check it out. In an occasional segment that we call Solution Spotlight, our own Simone Petrella speaks with Microsoft's Ann Johnson about how Microsoft is attracting and retaining top cyber talent.
3: Hello, everybody. Today, I am joined with Ann Johnson, Corporate Vice President for Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft has been leading the charge on talent and workforce development for years. Uh, In fact, Microsoft launched an initiative in 2021 to partner with community colleges given their broad reach to expand the cyber workforce by providing curriculum, training faculty, and providing scholarships. And the following year expanded in support of building the cyber workforce globally as well, helping people in places like Colombia and India acquire cybersecurity and digital skills for in-demand jobs. And thanks for joining us. How is that going almost two years later?
0: You know, it's just Fantastic. Look, there's not enough cybersecurity professionals globally to protect public and private infrastructure. We're certainly not training or certifying enough cybersecurity students to close the gap. And we recognize that no one has a higher responsibility to address, you know, cybersecurity threats and emerging threats than tech companies. So as you mentioned, around the world, we've partnered with educational institutions, nonprofits, governments, and businesses to develop local cybersecurity skilling that meets the unique needs of their market. Also, we want to anchor that data of where the gaps are in cyber in each region of the world and each country. So, our cybersecurity skills initiative is now in 28 countries. To date, we've trained more than 400,000 professionals through a variety of channels, including our Microsoft Learn channel, And people at Microsoft Learn can earn valuable security training certificates. We've trained through LinkedIn Learning courses, including systems administration, network security, and more for the courses. And we are partnering with global educational institutions and nonprofits throughout the world for even greater impact. I want to give one example in India, our Cyber CyberShitska program is working to close the gender gap in the cybersecurity field. Since its inception, it's trained 1,250 women and employed more than 800 women. So tremendous impact through the programs with the India program just being one highlight.
3: That's incredible. I think one thing that really has always stuck out to me is that, you know, in our current way, just in the U.S. alone, for every two cyber jobs that are filled, one's sitting empty today. And... Rick Howard and I were talking about this and kind of equated it to it's the equivalent of sending a team out into the baseball world series with six players instead of nine. <laughs> and I thought that analogy was particularly interesting because we talk a lot around here about this concept of Moneyball and the idea that organizations and employers aren't often looking at their talent through that team-based lens. Meaning, I'm curious when you think about those differing roles, those career paths and what's happening even within the Microsoft ecosystem, how do you all think about team skills and what's ultimately needed as a team to execute on your security strategy, whether that's zero trust or intrusion kill train prevention, resilience, you name it.
0: Yeah, I I think it's really important to think about all those different career paths, right? And to think about the fact that when we have an event or something that happens internally, it's not just the cyber technical professionals that are joining the event. It's the cyber lawyers. It's folks that have finance backgrounds. It's folks that have communications backgrounds. It's folks that have partnership or business development backgrounds. And it takes all of that to solve any one problem. So you need those deep technical experts, but you also need people to understand the business of cybersecurity. All of those roles are equally important in both solving the talent gap, but also in solving the problems that are inherent to the cyber industry.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so it goes with, you know, out saying the other side of the coin here is what are some of the challenges that you see in these initiatives and across others that are pervasive among the industry when it comes to us making a statistically significant gap in this talent
0: shortage? Look, demand? You know, if you think about you know the tech industry right now, and there's uh, as we record this, obviously there's been a lot of layoffs the first half of the year, but cyber talent remains in high demand. These studies tell us that by 2025, there's going to be three and a half million open cybersecurity jobs globally. That represents a 350 percent increase over the past eight years, and demand for these jobs has driven by an average of 35 percent this year alone. There's a whole lot of demand out there and not enough people that are qualified to fill it. The second thing is there's this lack of diversity, right? In the U.S., cybersecurity careers are still majority white and majority male. We need to build a cybersecurity workforce that's larger and expanding the diversity and inclusivity of the industry is one way to go because at the end of the day, you want your teams to be as diverse as the problems you have to solve. But also there's this really pragmatic approach that says, if we don't actually recruit more types of people into the industry, we're never going to solve the talent shortage. That requires a tremendous amount of intentionality um, in whatever programs we design. And we have to create more inclusive and supporting learning environments We have to think about the language of cybersecurity. It's incredibly important. And we have to help people when they do get on board to help them feel included so that we have cohorts where that look like, you know, people want to see representation. The cohorts they work in need to look like them and sound like them.
3: Yeah, and I think that the word you use there is so appropriate. It's intentionality. How do we have intentionality about the things that we're doing so that we can actually achieve those kind of ultimate business goals? I think sometimes those sometimes get conflated because we're just trying to hit the numbers without thinking about the actual kind of
0: effects on overall resilience or how we can increase diversity and in representation. That's absolutely correct. And if we are not intentional about increasing representation, we're never going to fill the talent gap.
3: Yeah. Well, and thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, is there anything else that you want to cover that I didn't necessarily
0: ask? Security is a team sport. So as much as Microsoft is working on these initiatives, and we have a lot of them that are people and talent related, so are our industry peers. And I would encourage our peers and and us to continue the work of being very intentional how we think about training, recruiting, and retaining cybersecurity talent across a a broad breadth of, you know, folks with different backgrounds. And if we do that together, we have hope of actually resolving all the talent shortage.
3: Very well said. Thank you, Anne. Appreciate your time as
0: always. And Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: That's Microsoft's Ann Johnson speaking with N2K's Simone Petrella. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms fed cyber. That's aka.ms slash fed And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Alexander Milenkowski from Sentinel-1. We're discussing their work, Suki Strikes Again, new social engineering campaign aims to steal credentials and gather strategic intelligence. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.